summer series, and we've been talking about personal revival, and we invited some guest speakers in, and it's been a wonderful time together if you've been with us through the summer. Um, I, I want to ask you a couple of questions as we kind of continue this thought process today. I, I've titled today's message, Some Practical Steps to Revival Living, and, and so the first question I have for us to consider is, why is it that some people can hear a, a message from the Bible, and then their life will be changed dramatically, and then other people may hear the same message and find that their life remains still unchanged. In other words, what are these elements of true personal revival? I mean, what is real personal, okay, revival, it's, it's a rejuvenation of the life of Christ in you, generally applied to people who say they've known Christ, but somehow the, the embers have grown, grown cold. What does that really look like? And I guess the real question that we should ask ourselves is, are we really interested? Uh, I would pose to you that God is interested as to whether or not you're interested. And of course, we would say, well, he knows everything. But we're going to talk a little bit about how we can make it clear to ourselves, if not to the Lord, of course, that indeed we want to live this life that is revived, that is walking with God in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the question is, how do we make revival living reality living? How do we make it a real part of our daily life and are there some steps that we can take? And so today that's what we're going to do. And the message that I have for you is actually for many of you. If you've spent time in church and most of you come regularly to this church or another and a lot of this is going to be review, okay? But what I intend to do today uh, as I have prayerfully considered how to address this subject is to just kind of take us on a little journey, okay? And so my prayer for us, and we'll stop and pray in just a moment together, is just that the Lord will allow you to just kind of set aside the multitude of noise that's going on in your heart and mind from your daily life. All of us have a lot of background noise. All of us have a lot of things that are real issues, that are concerns, that probably were heavy on your heart when you walked in the door today. I don't know. But if we would just set it aside for a moment and calmly consider the story that God has painted for us, that he would speak to our hearts and that he would show us these specific steps that we can take. Today, what I'm going to do, and if you glance at your notes that are prepared, there's a lot of points and there's a lot of Bible references. And, and we're going to go through them all. And, and so I just determined this week that I would speak less, don't shout amen too loud, and allow the Lord hopefully to speak more as we will just let him speak directly through his word as this story unfolds. So let's go to him in prayer and, and see if he'll do that in our hearts today. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we are so very thankful for all that you certainly have done, but continue to do, and maybe most applicable today is desire to continue to do in our lives moving forward. And so, as I said, Lord, my prayer really is to have all of us submit to you in this next hour that we would just allow ourselves to hear your word afresh, that we would allow you to speak to our hearts. Lord, give us ears to hear. Help us, Lord, to seriously and sincerely just ponder the words that you have given us in your holy word, that we would consider our lives, that we would do what you 
tell us in the book of James that your word is, it's like a mirror. And we look into it and, and that we would see ourselves the way that you see us. And then as a result, you, as only you can possibly do, make specific personal application to each and every one of us. We're, we're so very different. We're all at different places in our lives. But your Holy Spirit can do this this morning, and, and I pray that he would. So be glorified in this time as we look into your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so like I said, these are practical steps on how you can live out your life or the life of Christ in you daily. And so we're just going to jump right in. The first thing that we're going to see is to remember you. Okay, remember who you are. Uh, don't forget where you come from. Okay, um, remember the hood. I mean, where are you from? Where'd you come from? Where you are today may be very different from where you come from. But most of us remember where we come from. In a spiritual sense, it's very important. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 9 says, But he that lacketh these things, and if you spent time in Second Peter, you would see that these things refer to some practical steps, seven steps added to your faith that develop spiritual growth and maturity. He that lacks these steps of spiritual growth and maturity is blind and cannot see afar off. Why is that? Well, and he hath forgotten that he's purged from his old sins. I think it's healthy for all of us to remember that where we came from in our journey with the Lord Jesus Christ started that we were sinful, that we were in trouble. I mean, I don't know, for some of you, maybe like myself, I've got over 30 years that I've known the Lord, and I'm so thankful for that. But it's not so long that I can't remember what my life was like before Jesus Christ. I hope you can remember what your life was like before Jesus Christ, and I'll tell you, mine is described very clearly in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and I have a funny feeling yours is described that way as well. It says, and you hath he quickened, quickened, made alive. God has made you alive. If you've received Christ as your Savior, who previously were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And so most certainly that was my life. My life up until age 21, when I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, most certainly was defined by all of those things, and it actually says in the Bible that we all had that. That the experiences that I have, even though the circumstances of mine were unique, they're common to all men, even as others, it says. And so I would say that my life was the life of an average, unsaved young man. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 18 define it pretty clearly. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. Kind of dogmatic, huh, God? Not really leaving a lot of wiggle room, is he? They're all gone out of the way. They're all there together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they've used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. 
And you say to yourself, maybe, well, I wasn't that bad. <laughs> okay, well, allow the Lord to remind us in Isaiah 64, 6, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So even the kindest, nicest, sweetest people that you have ever known in the sight of a pure and holy God, our very best works are compared to filthy rags. It says we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away, taken us away from the Lord because they're iniquities. And so in James 1, 23 and 24, if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. I referred to this earlier. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway, notice, forgetteth what manner of man he was. I think the first step, if we're going to truly live a life of revival, is that we have to remember ourselves. We need to remember where we come from. We need to remember the sinful past we've come out of. We need to remember exactly who we really are. Don't be too full of yourself, friend. We don't really have that much to offer. So you remember yourself as helpless. And then we need to, second point, remember him, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the helper of the helpless, amen? So, some places that will encourage us. Romans 5, 6 through 8. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man. Some might even dare to die, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the Christ we serve. He's the helper of the helpless. And the first point, he came to heal the hurting. That's who he is. Luke 4, 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised. That's the ministry he had. That's the life that he lived. That's who he is. Number two, he came to redeem damaged goods. I think often about Psalms chapter 40 in the first two verses. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit and out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. You know what my life was like before Jesus Christ? I was stuck in the quicksand. I was, a, I was in the miry clay. I was in a terrible pit, and I couldn't get out. But Jesus Christ took me out, and he set my feet upon a rock, and he established my goings. He took something that had no inherent value of its own, and he made it new. That's who Jesus Christ is. Remember him. 1 Peter chapter 1, 18 and 19. For as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And so Jesus Christ, who is the helper of the helpless, paid the ultimate price 
when he gave his life and shed his blood, and he did that willingly so that he could redeem us, so that he could take us who had no inherent value of our own, and he could make us something. He came to save the lost, third point. You know this, Matthew 1.21, it is at his very presentation from his birth. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And in Luke 19 and verse 10, we have the very definition biblically of why Jesus Christ came. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And that's who we are. Remember you. Remember you, friend, that you were lost and desperate in your sin and and stuck in the muck and the mire of this world system and by very nature a child of wrath, even as others. And remember him who did all these things for you. So when we go back to Ephesians 2, 1, 2, and 3, and I say it describes my life very clearly and probably your life as well, Well, thankfully, Ephesians 2 continues in verse number 4 where it says, but God. I love those two words in Ephesians 2, 4. But God stepped in. And he did what only he could possibly do. And he stepped in and made the change because we were stuck in those conditions. But God, who is rich in mercy, For his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. That that goes out into eternity For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Let me ask you a question today. Have you met him? Do you know him? I mean, do you know him personally? We heard testimonies from people who got baptized, and and they have known, some of them have known of the Lord for years. But there came a day, after sitting in church for years, that finally it clicked. And finally they realized, hey, wait a minute. This needs to become very personal. I need to make my decision for me. Can I just encourage you right now? You may be here, and, and nobody else in this room has a clue what's going on in your heart, and nobody else in this room needs to except Jesus. If that's your condition, you know what you can do? You can just, right where you're at, in the silence of your heart, sincerely cry out to the Lord. And just tell him, look, I I get it. I know who I am. Nothing. And I know who you are. You did it all for me. And I just surrender to you right now. I want to give you my heart and my life. You've got to remember who you are, and you've got to remember who he is. Thank God for what he did for us through Jesus Christ. But the third thing you want to remember is you want to remember why. Why? Why did he do all that for you? Because you're so awesome? Because you'd be such a great catch to add to his family? Because he owed you something? Because God the Father forced him to do it? No, none of those things. Jesus did what he did for you because he loves you. You know that. Some of you like to fill in the blanks and guess ahead of time. These are real easy this week. 
Jesus did what he did for you because he loves you. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's because of his love for us. We know that. Ephesians 5, 25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, which then drove him to give himself for it. So Christ lays down his life, and he becomes the sacrifice. He redeems us from our sin. He gives us the free gift of eternal life. Why? Because he loved us. He loves you. And you may be going through some really, really hard things. You may feel so beaten down and depressed and unlovable that you may think that's impossible. He can't love me. You all here don't have any idea what I've done. Oh, can I assure you? I don't neither need nor want to know what you've done. He loves you. He loves you. You don't have more sin than he has grace. Know that. You don't. And when he did that, he did that willingly. He did that because he wanted to. John chapter 10, 17 and 18. Therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me but I lay it down of myself. He did it willingly. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. So he did it for you willingly. And you know what else he did? He did it for you all by himself. He did it alone. Hebrews chapter 1 starts out, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who, the Son, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had noticed by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Because even God the Father for that moment when he was on the cross turned his back on the Son, and Jesus cries out when he's on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And exactly how it plays out in, in, in the Trinity of God, where God the Son, the second person of the Godhead, somehow is disconnected from God the Father and God the Spirit, I can't explain to you. But that's what happened. That's who Jesus is. And he did that for you because he loves you. Number two, Jesus' selfless acts of love toward you ought to cause you to respond to him with thankfulness. Hebrews 13, 15 says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. What is the sacrifice of praise to God continually? Well, you can argue whether it's including a song or not, but what it really is is defined right here. That is... The fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. When you realize why he did what he did, doesn't that just drive you to want to be so unbelievably thankful? Are you not? Can we just stop for a minute and remember ourselves and remember him and remember why and just fall on our face and give the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name 
Revelation 4, starting in verse 9, and when those, this is a snapshot of heaven. When those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And this attitude, friends, is God's will. A lot of you know this, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. And everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. You ever wonder what God's will is? Well, one thing is for you to give thanks in everything. It never ceases to amaze me how people who have experienced all these things we've just described somehow come away yet unthankful. Romans chapter 1 kind of mentions that in verse 21. It says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Don't don't live your life that way. Don't forget where you come from. Don't forget who he is and why he did all the things he did for you. Don't be ungrateful. Because if you have that thankful attitude, it's going to make you want to do the fourth step in our list, and that is to pay it back. You want to pay it back, don't you? I mean, aren't you grateful? Aren't you thankful? Don't you want to do something for the Lord to pay it back? I mean, I do. Well, the bad news is you can't pay back Jesus for what he did. It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, if you, if you could pay him back for what he did, then, then you would earn your own salvation. Is that not right? Would it not be a situation where you... Say, well, I, I, why did Jesus have to die? I got this. I, I could pay you back for that debt. I, no, it's impossible to actually pay him back for what he did in salvation for us. But there's a few things we can learn. Number one, the Bible says we are debtors. That's what it says. Romans chapter 1 and verse 14. I am debtor, Paul said, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. And the context literally is to continue the ministry of the gospel to the lost world. The Greeks and the barbarians would represent those people who have yet to experience the love of Christ. And I'm a debtor to these people to continue this ministry. It's the Great Commission. It's taking the Word of God to the whole world and making disciples of all nations. Well, number two, you know what that is? That's good works. That's good works. That's now, out of a heart of thankfulness, living your life in such a way that you begin to live out good works through your life, not to earn your salvation, but to just as a result, this debt that you owe is to society to pay this gospel and, and give it to so many other people. Ephesians 2 and verse 10, we read all the way to verse 9 already. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Oh, by grace you're saved through faith. That's not of yourselves. That's not of works, lest any man should boast. But yet, now that you are saved, you are created in Christ, a new creature, so that you will live in good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That's his will for you. So we pay Jesus back, quote-unquote, when we give our lives to serve him, to obey him. John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments, Jesus said. You, talk is cheap. If you really love me, 
keep my commandments. And in 1 John 5, verses 2 and 3, by this we know. By what? By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God. I love God. This is the love of God. That we keep his commandments. Oh, and by the way, his commandments are not grievous. It's not, oh, man, I, I got to do that. What a, what a grief to my soul. I got I to gotta show up and do stuff? No. This is the love of God. Man, I'm so overwhelmed with what he's done for me. I'm, of course I'm going to keep his commandments. That's the least I can do. Man, don't you want to do more than just come to church? I mean, I mean, isn't it, isn't your Christianity worth more than just showing up in a room and leaving early? Isn't, it, isn't there more to it in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, what life, what, what message is your life sending to the Lord Jesus about your love for him? I mean, I think that's something we should consider. Point number three, too many people think that church service means serve us. You ever notice that? Hey, preacher, what do you have for me today? Hey, hey, church, what, what have you done for me lately? Oh, yeah, yeah, all that other stuff was cool, but it's been a while since you've really done anything for me lately. Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, the Bible's clear. We are the body of Christ. That means we're Jesus' hands and feet in this world today. We should do what he did as much as possible anyway. I mean, I get it. We, we probably don't have the ability to heal people physically and to do the miracles that he did. We certainly don't need to and couldn't possibly die on the cross for anybody. That's done once and for all, thank the Lord. But maybe we can do the spiritual equivalent of the things that he did physically, amen? So Jesus says in John 14, 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that he that believeth on me, do you believe on him? The works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do. Because I go unto my Father. Well, how are you possibly ever going to pull off greater works if the context is only physical? It's impossible. He went to the extent of raising the dead. You can't get any greater than that on a physical application, right? So it has to have a spiritual application. So when we help people to know the Lord Jesus as their Savior, they gain new life also, but it's eternal life now. I'd say that's greater than just Lazarus coming out of the grave only to die again later, wouldn't you say? We can actually do that. And so that's the life we need to live, paying it back. Well, actually, maybe you want to look at it this way. Point number five, pay it forward. Pay it forward. And I want to take a specific emphasis when I talk about this. That's kind of a similar point. You freely received a gift you don't deserve, so you can't pay it back in the sense of salvation, but you can in the sense of surrendering your life to serve, which is kind of paying it forward. How exactly should that look? Well, point number one, have you ever noticed the Lord's emphasis on the poor? And I want to just draw your attention to this. So we looked previously at Luke 4.18. I'm going to mention it again. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. And then a few chapters later in Luke, which means a little bit later on the chronology of his earthly ministry, 
Jesus answers some people who are asking, sent by John the Baptist, if, are you really the man or what? Luke 7, Jesus answering said unto them, go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard. Here's the things you have seen and heard, by the way. How the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, pretty good list, and the poor get rich. No, he doesn't say that. The poor, to the poor, the gospel is preached. Have you ever noticed the Lord's emphasis on the poor? Now I want you to think about it. And, and, and we don't have the time to enter into a sociological investigation, but it is an interesting thing to ponder. People who live under the poverty line, okay, frequently, of course not always, frequently find themselves in situations that they seemingly can't get out of because of decisions and choices in their life that would have caused them to turn away from the Lord and turn away from his help. And yes, they're probably circumstantially stuck in situations that many of us as middle-class suburban Americans don't even understand. I understand that. But yet when people ignore God, ignore the biblical principles of godly living and try and just do what they do, they they find themselves often stuck in this cycle. There's something very interesting about how this just seems to play out. And there seems to be something particularly godly about serving people in that category. I mean, if all you do is ever serve people who potentially can return the favor to you, it's not really Christ-like, is it? So, number two in your notes, it's an Old Testament priority. The Old Testament clearly over and over again makes it a priority. Psalm 82, 3. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. And Job tells us in Job 26, 2 that a man will be judged based on this. How hast thou helped him that is without power? How savest the arm that hath no strength? So it's a priority in the Old Testament. And you know what it is in the New Testament? It's a practice to be continued in the New Testament. Galatians 2, 9 and 10. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace was given unto me, they gave to me, Paul said, and Barnabas, the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, the Gentile world, and they unto the circumcision, the nation of Israel. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. So there's just something about the Lord having a particular interest in caring for people who even in society particularly have a difficult time caring for themselves. Do you see that? Do you remember the parable of the soils? The seed goes into the different kinds of soil and you have the seed goes on the wayside and the bird comes and takes it away and then it's cast in the stony ground and it springs up a little bit but the heat of the day scorches it and it dies and then one grows up a little bit with some thorns come and choke it out. And there's only one soil that produces fruit. It's called the good soil. And that's the one that you know, we're to strive for, to, have, to, to, to sow the seed of the word of God in, in, in the hearts of men and to find those who have good soil hearts. You know, I'm not a farmer, but I know that if you're going to have good soil, good soil 
hear me, this is good theology right here, has a lot of fertilizer in it. You know, people who have trouble, their life is messy. Maybe you might say well-fertilized. Often find that their heart is ready to receive the seed of the Word of God. If we'll just take it to them. That's what Jesus did. He said, that's why I came. Oh, John, you want to know if I'm the man or not? Look at what has been going on around me. We preach the gospel to the poor. So we pay it back. We pay it forward. We need to pay it right here. Point number six. Listen, I know that a discussion of poverty sends your mind going in directions of political solutions to stop world hunger and global poverty, which, by the way, are real issues, okay? I I, want to try and laser focus in a little bit so that you don't let your mind go there right now because realistically in our lives every day, it's fair to say that that's probably a little beyond the scope of what we're really going to have some impact in. So let's talk about paying it here Biblically, the Great Commission starts at home. 100% clear as a bell. Luke 24 and verse 47 is Luke's version of the Great Commission. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations. But it has a starting point. Starting in Jerusalem. They happen to live in Jerusalem. He says, just start at home. Uh, The book of Acts, chapter 1, verse number 8, very well known, again, includes starting at home. But you should receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you should be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. And so there is something about the concurrent, ever-flowing outward, the ripple effect of the stone in the pond, as we heard earlier, that continues to work its way out all over the world. But where does it begin? It begins... At home, of course it begins at home, and we see that exact model with the Lord Jesus Christ and his disciples. He gathers the 12, they're following them around, they're learning about ministry, and the very first time Jesus sends them out to begin their own public ministry is in Matthew chapter 10. And in Matthew 10, the first few verses leading up to verse number 5, basically is where Jesus calls them by name and lists all their names. And then in verse 5, he begins this commission. These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Notice, go not into the way of the Gentiles. A little contradictory to the Great Commission, wouldn't you say? That his name and repentance and remission of sins be preached among all nations. He immediately starts with his disciples. Notice he's beginning young converts as they're beginning to grow. Where do I begin? Don't go to the Gentiles, that will be too hard. Let's start slow. And into any of the city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely have received, freely give. So he sends them out to do exactly what he did, meet their physical needs. 
because they're going to meet the sick and the lepers and the dead and the devil-filled people and poor people, and they're going to meet these people. He says, but go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, start your ministry right here among people you're already familiar with. People you're already familiar with. with. Why would you do that? Well, one reason, if we, again, meeting physical needs of people who have them, well, it opens their ears to hear the gospel message, and point number two in your notes is these, these are people that appreciate your help. These are people that appreciate your help. Luke chapter 14, verse 12. Then said he also unto him that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and a recompense be made thee. In other words, don't just invite the people that maybe can invite you back. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed. Why? For they cannot recompense thee. For thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. God will take care of the recompense, the reward, in other words. Man, go invite the people that can't possibly pay you back. Because that's what Christ did for us. Verse 15, And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and he sent his servants at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to notice, kind of like today, isn't it? Make excuse. The first said unto him, I bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife. He doesn't say, pray thee, have me excused. He says, I can't do it. I'm just reading. (laughs) So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Notice, the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there's room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Have you ever tried and tried and tried and tried to invite certain people that you may have acquaintance with, and that's with the best of intention, and they just continually make excuse? Why don't you just consider a different audience? Why don't you consider an audience that just might appreciate it? We live in a time in church history, the Bible defines with a church called the Church of the Laodiceans in Revelation chapter 3, and they're defined in verse 17. It says, the Lord referring to them says, Because thou sayest, Church of Laodiceans, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Kind of describes our society. And knowest not, you don't even understand, that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Matthew 19, 24, and again I say unto you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. 
So there's just something about being sensitive to the needs of the needy, regardless of your financial income or anybody's financial income. Everybody's a candidate for the gospel. Don't think that I'm not saying that. Matthew 5, 3 said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Anybody can be poor in spirit if they'll just respond. But let me just tell you that knowing all of these things and these first six points, it's, it's not enough. It's not enough if you don't have point number seven. And that is, pay it now. Pay it now. Uh, in your bulletin, you have a handout. Would you pull that out, this little handout, little card? And, and I'm not going to read it to you. You can read. On one side, it says local ministries. And, and what you have is a list of local ministries that we currently are involved in here at First Baptist Church. These are ministries that we have organized and continue to serve our local community and to reach out in many different ways. And so most all of them on the list deal with people who are particularly poor and or needy in a certain area. And it is because we are following the, the example of the scriptures. So whether it's drug addiction or getting out of prison or homeless or some abusive situation or having trouble providing for your family food, whether you're elderly and your health isn't you know, at risk or maybe you're just an international here with no friends and barely a way to live. We do a lot of things to reach out to people like that. Of course we reach out to anybody and everybody, we have good news clubs with the kids in the, in the grade schools. What a wonderful program and Upward Soccer. And there's other ministries of our church where people just use sports to get their friends to come and share the gospel with them. It's a fantastic thing. And would you, would you really take this home and, and, and just prayerfully consider what you can do, where you might want to jump in, what you might want to do as well? You say, well, where and when do these things go on? I... I've never really seen them. You don't talk about them much. Yeah, okay, well, that's the backside, so flip it over. <laughs> we do that with our midweek life groups. And honestly, we have some wonderful participation. There's almost half of our church body that participates in a midweek life group, but that means that there's probably just a little over half that don't. And man, just think of all the opportunities and things that we could do if if everybody got involved. And so you can read this. These are the adult life group opportunities that we have, and we'll be cranking those up here by the end of August, 1st of September again. And man, just, just pick one. Just show up. Just pick one and go and, and be a part of it. I mean, it's, it's just a great, great opportunity. And I, and I think based on all these things that we've seen and heard, um, how can you sit by and just not do anything? Um, last week, I mentioned that we have hired onto our staff temporarily uh, for a while anyway, Todd Goff. He's been a member of this church forever. And one of the things Todd is doing with us, with our staff, is organizing opportunities for service. And so, Todd, I just want you to come up and share a few of the other opportunities that you're working on. Jeff had a seven-point message. Mine is only six. We should be out for supper, so it should be good. <laughs> He's like, ah, oh, no. Um, but... Uh, guys, I'm, I'm thrilled to death to, to, uh, to be a part of the staff, even temporarily. It's been awesome. But one of the things that I've been wanting to develop, as Jeff mentioned, um, was to create a database. Um, are you guys hearing me okay? 
Okay. To create a database of skills and abilities that our membership uh, possesses for the sole purpose of, of uh, saving our church money and being good stewards and actually um, allowing you guys to be good stewards of the abilities and talents that God has given you guys. Um, first of all, you know, if you think about it, if we're able to save our church money, then that money is able to be used for foreign missions or serving uh, people in our community. Um, also, you know, do you really think that God gave you the, um, the abilities or, or talents really just so you have a material job? Um, it's really to serve Christ, everything he's, he's done for us. Um, so really, guys, um, from time to time, op opportunities arise that we need a particular skill or, or ability that some of you guys might have. And we, we end up calling a professional company because we had no clue that there were people within our body that possessed that ability to maybe give you guys an opportunity to serve. Um, so what we would like to do, um, you know, is to create that database. And what I'd like is if everybody pick up one of the connection cards, could you for me? Everybody pick one up. Okay, um, and what I want you to do is write on there what your ability or skill or what you do for a living that you think might be used um, by God in the local church. Um, and one thing I want to mention to you, if you think that you don't have a particular skill or an ability, then just mark down their general labor. Just any, there's times in our church where there's projects that we need just extra bodies for. If you have um, good health and you're able to, to do that, um, that also would be wonderful. So really, if, if you think that there's something that God could use you and what you do as for a living, mark that down. If not, just mark down general labor that you would like to, like to help. Um, just to give you guys a couple um, of examples, Recently, um, our church house in the back here, if you guys know the red house, um, it has not had anything done for a long time. And so there's a lot of opportunities there. We've done a lot of painting inside and we'll, we'll need that outside also. Um, general maintenance. Um, if, if anybody like is a carpet layer and knows how to stretch the carpet, you know, that saves a lot of money if we just have to purchase it and not have to have it laid. Um, also, out in front of the church, if you guys notice, right above the sign that says First Baptist Church, the, little, the triangle area, that needs painted. It's flaking off. Where, where the, and, you know, we can rent a lift if somebody has that talent of painting. Now, if you and your friends are sitting around the kitchen table and you're doing paint by number of unicorns and like kittens uh we, we we wouldn't really want that but like if you have professional you know abilities to uh to do that that would be wonderful and uh i want you guys to fill up my tomorrow with you know tons of folks that i can start creating that database i think it's going to be very very helpful to our church and also give you guys opportunities to serve so just uh please Fill that out and put it in the offering plate as it passes. Thank you very much. Thanks, man.
Okay, so we're about done, but I want to just direct your attention, and we're going we're gonna to wrap this up. And um, The question I want us to consider, you know, how much do you really care about somebody if you have in your hand the ability to do good, but you withhold that good from them? And that's really what James 4.17 says. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it's sin. And, you know, let's not be those people who are ungrateful. Let's not be those people who just, you know, hide our light under a bushel. Let's not be those people who always expect everybody else to get everything done. Man, you know, many hands make light work, but there's a joy in serving and a fulfilling of God's will in our hearts and our lives and the reaching out to many more people and people who maybe don't respond and are, you know, just can't seem to find themselves to get involved in anything. I mean, I... I'm not your judge. There's somebody else that's your judge, but I know this. The Bible warns us that there will be people, sadly, in a category of thinking that they were okay and come to find out they're really not okay, and that's described for us in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say it unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, and, th- and by the way, they were religious, right? We, have we not prophesied in thy name, and thy name cast out devils, and thy name done many wonderful works? And I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Listen, I'm, I'm not here to judge you. I, I just want to say, this is a serious deal. And what does revival living look like? Well, I think we understand what it looks like. And man, if, if we want to just show the Lord, man, we love you, and we want to pay it back. We want to pay it forward. We want to do it now and here, and we want to get involved and and maybe the Lord is stirring your heart, and maybe you're at a point where you're like, I, I agree, I agree, and I've let it slide, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in. Uh, man, fill out that card and, and put it in the plate, and, and let's just respond to the Lord the way that he would have us respond. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you, and we're humbled, as always. Anytime we're reminded of where we come from, man, and then we realize who you are and what you've done, that just blows me away.